Good morning. Good to see you. We're glad that you have chosen to begin your Sunday with us to be a part of worship. Thank you so much to our worship leaders and our choir leading us in worship. Appreciate Brent praying for us. Brent Davis, one of our new deacons. And as a matter of fact, uh, uh, we have several new deacons that have started, but his picture wasn't in there. So if you saw him standing, now you know what he looks like. Take your Bibles, if you would, find Romans chapter 1, if you would. Romans chapter 1, we're going to be reading verses 8 through 17. And uh, as we kind of begin a new series, it's a good day for us to begin a new series as we come today. And, you know, every day we get up, it's a new beginning. Every Sunday is the beginning of a new week. We know that the Lord has good things in store for us as we talk about, though, today about why should I believe? Now, you know that you believe. Most of us here uh, certainly have our faith in the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. We know that even in a group like this, there may be some who have doubts. There may be others who are beginning to believe or wanting to believe. But we want to give you a reason Today, we want to be omission about our faith in the Lord Jesus. Sometimes we think about being omission. We think of it as a place or a project. Part of our being omission has very much to do with that. We've got a group going to Africa next month. Got another group going to Phoenix next month. We're going to be involved in community projects and missions hopefully all year uh, throughout this year and beyond. We want to continue to do these kind of things. But being omission is something that we do every day as we talk about standing up for Jesus, living for Him, and living the truth that He has for us. And I believe that this scripture we talk about today and over these next few weeks will be a great time for us to understand and learn what it means to be omission. It'll be a great time for you to be sure to be here for over the next uh, month or two. Also, for you to be able to invite others as well. This now is the Word of God that we're reading from Romans chapter 1. Beginning with verse 8, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word today? First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation, both to Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Verse 16 and 17 read, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word. And you may be seated. It has been called, the book of Romans, one of the greatest letters ever written in the world for us to be able to understand the truth about Jesus, about His love, and how we are uh, to live for Christ. Now, we never lift one book or one passage above the rest of the, time of the books of the Bible, and we know that all of it is important, but we want to approach this understanding of the book of Romans, and here's a reading the first chapter of Romans, so that we might be able to understand what kind of people we're going to be from here on out as we move forward what kind of church we're going to be as we move forward. We understand that if we are, if you understand what I'm saying, to be a mile long 
and an inch deep will not have the influence on this generation that we need to have as the church and as the body of Christ. In other words, it is important that we go deep, that we have understanding, that we grow in the Lord as it is, that we grow wide. We want to continue to reach people for the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Also, we want to have greater understanding of who He is and how it is that we are to serve Him. Which means that the application for the Scripture that we read today, for all, it must be more than just for what I call the corporate church, but it is for the individual and all those who are ready to hear a word from the Lord. Paul writes this letter to the Romans, the church who are in Rome, he writes it while he's on his third missionary journey, probably while he is in the city of Corinth, Greece. And we read, we began to read in verse 8, but if you look at the verse just above verse 8 in verse 7, it says, to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So it's written to those who are believers in Rome who are eager to hear a word from the Lord. This is a true story as I've heard it happened to a Friend of a friend, as they say. They were in, a couple were in, uh, at a convention in Las Vegas. And they were doing what most people do at a casino in Las Vegas. Now you understand I'm just the storyteller, I'm not condoning this. But they'd been in the casino for a while. They decided to go back up to the room and they went up. And the wife decided she wasn't quite tired yet. So she would go back down to the casino. She goes and she gets into the elevator when she gets into the elevator, there were three African-American men who got into the elevator with her, two of them quite large. And one of them says, please hit the floor. She stood there petrified, not knowing what was happening and what was going on. Then they repeated, ma'am, I said hit the floor. And there she fell face down on the floor in the elevator. And then he leaned over and said, I meant hit the elevator button. Well, as they were... Uh, Checking out later out of their hotel, they, uh, they were told there at the desk that their bill had been paid. And they, when they questioned it, they got a, received a note, and the note said this. It said, thank you for the most entertainment my bodyguards and I have had in a long time, signed singer Lionel Richie. <laughs> I wonder how many of us, if we truly heard a word from the Lord, we'd be, we would fall flat on our face in fear. One of the reasons that people are not properly motivated is because we misunderstand what God wants us to do or we have a misperception of the reason that we should be serving. Too many of us think, well, God's out to get us, or if we are serving, we're serving because we're afraid that if we do not, something bad will happen. Uh, or we're ignoring His plan altogether. People who do serve the Lord, they serve for many various reasons. People serve out, out of legalism, hoping to earn their salvation, find their uh, find favor with God, some out of fear, afraid they will anger God if they do certain things or afraid they might lose their spot in heaven. Some people serve out of guilt. And I can tell you today, guilt's not a good reason for us to be able to serve. It's not the best motivation. Some serve out of a good appearance, want to be seen by others. Other reasons include duty, tradition, or habit. These reasons for serving God, though they might get us to do something for a time, they are not acceptable to God. The Scripture says that we are to serve God from a pure heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31 says, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Well, I want to give you a couple of reasons this morning of why motivation matters, at least for us to begin with as we begin to talk about this passage, we, why we must serve God with the right motives. You've got your notes there, hopefully be able and ready to follow along. Serving God 
for the wrong reason will make you a short-timer. I don't mean that you'll be a Christian for a short time. I mean that the chances, though, of you serving God effectively for a long time and meaningful will be slim unless you're seeking to do it for the right reasons. Those who serve for any other reason other than to glorify God or out of devotion to Him will not last. Now let me give, let me give you a general statement. And you tell me if you think this is true of and maybe whether it's true of the church. If the leadership and the workers in the church are not spiritually minded, then every five to ten years, many who served in leadership positions and were very active at one time are no longer to be found or they're sitting on the sidelines. So if you're serving and it's for the wrong reason, chances are you will not last. You will not be in the right, you'll not be in it for the long haul. Paul serves as a great example for us of one who stayed the course because he was in it for the right reason. And he tells us he believes this, that the Lord's course is for him to eventually to be able to get to Rome. He writes here, I hope to now eventually be able to come to you to be able to come to Rome. He had wanted to come before, but the Lord had prevented him, and he hopes to be able to come. And if you know the story of Paul, you know that he does is able to get to Rome, but he goes as a prisoner. But here's another reason why you must serve for the right motives. Serving God for the wrong reason will give you less than best results. Less than best results. When we serve God from another motive, we may do some things that are good, but we may not be doing that which is best. Know how Satan would like for you to keep you and I doing good things that may be good, but they're not the best or they're not what God intended us to be doing. That happens when we're no longer in tune to Him. And the results or the fruit of our service is less than God desires. The wrong motives also bring out less than the best in us. God wants to bring out the best, bring out the best that we have to offer. The best results in our life and for the kingdom comes from the best motives. Now Paul was greatly motivated, used by God, because he always kept his motives pure. His single purpose was to please God. People mattered. To him, and he believed in the power of God at work that would change lives. Now, we have spent our time thus far, these first few minutes, talking about the danger of wrong motives in hopes that we might have a desire not only to serve God, but also to be able to serve for the right reasons. I want to warn you, though, if you're like most of us, we have a hard time serving and living for Jesus out of purely, strictly pure motives. Now, I believe that there are some dear saints and some are in this church who have never had a selfish thought or never had an impure motive, but that's not most of us. In fact, it's something that we must decide that we need, that we want to strive for. So if you want to strive to serve for the right reasons, you, we need to understand it's a learning process. Now in this passage, we have that we read just a moment ago, we have what I'm going to call the three great I am's of the Apostle Paul. Now don't understand, don't misunderstand, this is not the same I am like when Moses talked to God out of the burning bush and he asked, what is your name or who will I say called me? It's not the same as the I am that Jesus said about himself when he talked about the many ways in which he was. And he said, I am the door, I am the bread of life, or uh, I am the way and the only way. But with I am, Paul's I am's found in verses 14, 15, and 16, he tells a little bit about his motivation. Verse 14, he says, I'm obligated. Verse 15, he says, I'm eager. Verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed. It would do us well to understand Paul's motivation 
And it comes at a good time for us because we want to be on mission, ready to serve. We want to be ready to face the future, be ready to touch the world for Jesus. In Super Sunday terms, if this is our holy huddle in which we've come together to be able to fellowship together, to be ready for whatever's next, we want the Lord to be able to speak to us. We want to have the right motivation and be able to share the right things that we have. You can slow down on the notes. We'll go back through those in just a moment. Be sure that those are up in the right time. Because we'll talk about them one at a time. First of all, Paul says, he says, I am obligated in verse 14, particularly that he is obligated to others. Now we all have times perhaps when serving God is its own reward. Times that we enjoy being in God's house. Preparing to teach if you're a teacher, helping a brother or sister in need, telling someone about Jesus or working together on a project. And we think serving is its own reward. But then there are other times. Maybe when it's a little more difficult. Maybe when we're doing some of those things that nobody else wants to do or nobody else will do. Maybe we don't want to get up on Sunday or maybe we don't feel like preparing that week. Well, you know what? You still get up. You still prepare that lesson. You show up to serve anyway because you feel that you have an obligation from the Lord. If Christ is our Lord and we are His servants, we make pretty poor servants to serve only when we feel like it. Now, some translations of verse 14 say that Paul says, I am in debt. We don't want to misunderstand this as if Jesus has paid a price and Paul's saying, I'm trying to pay him back. There's a debt that I need to repay that the Lord has done for me. And, but what the Lord has given us, it is a free gift. It cannot be paid back. The Lord has given us. And so there's, there's not a, something that we've got to earn or we've got to pay back. But Paul's trying to, not trying to pay back for his salvation. Paul says he has an obligation just as we do, which extends to others. Your obligation to others is something like uh, seeing someone in a burning house or somebody that's drowning in a lake or an accident has taken place and you need to call 911. That you, you have an opportunity perhaps to help someone to save a life and no matter who it is, you cannot turn away. But it's more than that. For Paul says, I'm obligated to the Greeks and to the non-Greeks or to the barbarians, to the wise and to the unwise. You see, the gospel is the great equalizer. We are all equally lost without it. Jesus, we're all equally saved with Jesus. And Paul had a burden for those he was writing to because of his relationship with Jesus. And Paul says why he longs to be with them so that he might impart some spiritual gift, so that he might be able to help them in some way. He wants to share about spiritual matters. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16. Remember Paul was in Corinth. But he talks about the necessity to share the gospel. He says, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Yes, we are indebted to Christ. How many times have you heard a preacher say, or maybe someone like me, Jesus went to the cross for you. Can't you get up on Sunday for Him? Jesus died for you. Don't you, can't you live for Him? Maybe some, some of that is true, but this is different. Paul's emphasis here is the obligation he has toward others because of God's call on his life. Like someone who's found a cure for cancer and it must be shared. Or someone, or someone who is a beggar who's found an unlimited supply of bread. There's a responsibility to share the good news, the responsibility to offer help. If we're indebted to the one who gave his life for us, then we're obligated for all the ones for whom Christ died. So here's the first great motivator. You may already have that in your notes, but it is that we might be pleasing to God and to please Jesus. 
So Paul's first motivation is an obligation to others because of Christ. Most of us understand obligations. And many of us serve Christ, serve others out of obligation to share and to serve others because of Jesus. But there's more. That's not Paul's only motivation because in verse 15 he says, I am eager. He said, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Now some translations actually say that I am ready. And there are two words in the New Testament that mean ready. One of those words means I've prepared and I'm ready. Now's the time. Let's do it. But there's another word that means not just ready, but it means to be eager. It means not only am I ready, but there are, but I'm eager to do what I need to do. Do you understand the difference? I think that I do. Because there are times perhaps I feel like, well, I'm prepared and I'm ready to preach or to teach. In other words, I've done the study, I've got the notes, and I'm ready to do and what needs to be done and to teach. But then there are times that I am eager. Cannot wait to be able to share what the Lord has laid upon my heart so that you might be able to know that I'm, that I'm excited about it, enthused about it. And today, guess what? It's the latter. I'm eager today. I want you to be able to understand all of what God's Word says to us so that we might be able to understand. So what are you ready to do? Some churches are filled with people who are ready. Some are ready to criticize. Some are ready to blame. Some are ready to judge. Folks, we need people who are ready to serve. What, what made Paul so eager, I wonder? Notice he, he was not just duty-bound, but enthusiastically anticipating, cannot wait to get started and help somebody can, of attitude. I've been trying to come to you. And I cannot wait to be able to come and be able to share with you who are in Rome. He'd never been to Rome. <laughs> But he was ready to go whatever way possible so he might share with them face to face so that they might be strengthened, so that they might be well grounded in the faith and so that they might be an encouragement to one another. He was looking encouragement even for himself. Oh, he'd never been to Rome. Did you notice his prayer life? He said, he said, as God is my witness, I pray for you all the time without ceasing. Time and time again. Folks, he never... Now, some of these people he probably had met on his missionary journeys, maybe had gone to Rome for persecution or for other reasons. And then there were some who had become believers, maybe the vast number of those that he'd never met, but he cared for them just the same. Verse 8, he says, I thank Jesus for your faith is legendary. It's being shared all over the world. He's thankful for these fellow believers. And it is seen in his prayer life. Notice in verse 10, it talks about his prayer. He prayed that though he had never seen them, he said, we have a hard time, we, you and I, have a hard time enough praying consistently for the folks that we know. Paul's praying for folks that he never met before. Ten of Paul's 13 letters begin with a prayer, mention of prayer for the church. Our depth of concern, our depth of motivation is surely seen in our prayer life and how consistent we are and measured by our prayer life for others. He cared we want to see them face to face, but for the same time, he could not go to them. So he did the next best thing. He wrote this letter. Now, he couldn't Skype them. No FaceTime. Can't go, so he writes the letter. Now, why was Paul so eager to be able to go and to be able to go there in Rome? Certainly, he cared for them and cared for those who were in Rome. 
Paul had what we might call sometimes the, uh, I think it's called the Star Trek mentality. That is, he wanted to go where no man had gone before. He wanted to go where the gospel had never been shared. Now, there was a church in Rome, but he had mentioned in other letters that he also, that he wanted to go to Spain. And it may be that he wanted to go and maybe have a base there that would be in Rome that would launch him maybe even to further parts of where people had never heard the gospel. And he saw and he kind of envisioned that that place in Rome and the church in Rome, that they could come and they could be a part of something that was significant. And that is the continuation of the spread of the gospel. Don't you want to be a part of something that is significant? There's a book that came out some time ago. It's called The Gospel Blimp. And in the book, it's really more of a satire of a book, I guess. It was about a fellow who hired a gospel, a blimp, in order to share gospel tracts and be able to distribute those all over the community for people to be able to pick up and read. It's kind of not long read, but the, the idea behind it was that we'll go to great lengths in order not to have to talk to somebody face to face. Uh, I had someone come in church a long time ago, galaxy far, far away. In fact, it was a long time ago when, uh, when people mostly had landlines at their house, I guess, and not cell phones. But he wanted us to buy one of these uh, roto-calling machines to where we could call everybody in the city and share the gospel news with a, with a ro- robo-call type thing, telemarketing, but it'd be an electronic voice that would come across. It. You know, it only cost a few thousand dollars for the church. We could call everybody in the city. I said, well, we could do that or we could just find somebody that wants to hear about Jesus and tell them face to face perhaps. Any of those things perhaps could be done. Do you remember the commercial that came out about the president of a company who comes in and tells a salesman, one of the oldest customers we had fired us today. He says he never saw us anymore. We don't do things like we used to do. It's always in email or fax and it begins to pass out airline tickets and we're going to go see every customer face to face. Then one of the men asked, what are you going to do, boss? He said, I'm going to go see that customer that fired us today. Paul writes this letter. He's eager. He knows the importance of face-to-face. Man, how did the Apostle Paul ever make it without an iPhone or Twitter account or email or Instagram or an iPad? You know, an uh, a Apple Watch sure would have done Paul well, you know, on those journeys. Find out how far he walked, how many calories he lost and when to breathe, all of that kind of stuff. He could have found out right there on his wall. How did he ever make it without those kinds of things that took... Listen, a long time ago, one of my first pastorates, all we had was a typewriter and a telephone. Two of them, maybe, and part-time secretary. And churches have always been big targets for telemarketers, which I robocall sounded like a telemarketer to me. But And so they would call, and she'd pass it through sometimes, and we, Thank goodness we don't we I get those not all the way to me uh, these days. But uh, telemarker give the spiel and say, "Would you like for me to fax or email that to you?" And I, this is a very rural church, by the way. And I said, "Sir, we just now got a push button phone." When I pick up the phone, I say, "Sarah, would you get me my house?" How do people ever make it without those things? But because now we want to use every resource available. You understand? But the Lord. You, the Lord knew what His tools would be, and His tools would be you and me, which never become obsolete. Are you ready to serve and share the good news of God's love? Are you ready to do that which is right, even if it asks us about doing something personal? Second great motivator is people matter. They matter to the Apostle Paul, and they should matter to us. Paul was sent and called by God to share with the Gentiles that 
and the non-Jews. But again, if you read verse 14, I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians or the Greeks and the non-Greeks to the wise and the foolish. That's everyone. And then in Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. Be eager and ready because people matter. Paul's motivation in verse 16 is third, I am, is that I am not ashamed. He's not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Every believer knows it's wrong to be ashamed of our Lord at any time. Jesus said in Mark 8, Mark chapter 8, For whoever is ashamed of me and my word in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father. And the good news of that, Romans chapter 9 and verse 33 says, The one who trusts in Jesus will never be put to shame. Now we might have been ashamed about our past. We might have been ashamed about a background or something that we've done or places we've been, but because of God's forgiveness through Jesus, we no longer have to be ashamed. And we should not have to shrink away from standing up or sharing about Jesus. Sometimes we have opportunity. Opportunity to make a stand. Maybe something that we said or should have said, wish we'd have said. We blow it and we say, well, maybe next time. And the truth of the matter is the world's not always wanting to hear the message of the gospel. It exposes sin and that's never fun. It's the reason many have come up with a new gospel. One that's a little more tasteful. It's a health and wealth gospel. It's what people want to hear. It offers what people want. It draws people under the motivation of worldly success and comfort. Only problem is it's not biblical. And Jesus condemned it. He said, if you follow me, it may be a tough way. maybe the tougher way. Let's not be afraid, though, to stand on the Bible as the Word of God and be the, word, the church that preaches and teaches the whole Word of God. Now, the Christians and the church people of Paul's days were not mostly the elite group. They were the common people. Here, Paul wanted to go to the capital of Rome, capital of the world at that time, with its proud, educated people, and talk to them about a carpenter from Nazareth, which might seem foolish. But understanding and proclaiming boldly, it is the power of God to salvation. So the third great motivator is the power of salvation. What we have experienced as believers has the power to change lives. The motivation comes when we are convinced that this is all that we need, the good news of Jesus. Because what the world needs is not a better education system or new ideas in religion or social reform or new world order. Not just these things, but it needs primarily the gospel. Because it's the power of salvation that can make the drunk sober, the weak strong, the crooked straight, the promiscuous pure. It gives life and transforms lives. Now, I'm not the first one to be able to say it, but the gospel, instead of something that we stand in front of, it should be seen like a lion that simply needs to be let out of the cage and let loose and do its work. But we have to open the door. And the power, believe it or not, is in its simplicity. Notice again in verse 16, for it says there, but it is for everyone, but limited to those who believe. I've got to tell you, as we look through the next few chapters of Romans, sometimes you'll come to places you'll, and you'll read something you think, well, this might seem a little bit hard to understand, maybe even harder to do. But I'm convinced when Paul wrote to the people who were in Rome, to the church that was there, and to us today, it's written so that 
we might be able to understand and comprehend better. It is so that we might be able to see what it is that we need to do and be able to understand and also understand that living Jesus is possible. Living for Jesus is possible in that generation and in this generation. What makes serving God and living for Jesus possible? Look at verse 16. The the book of Romans, and I'm going to make this statement. The book of Romans and all the gospel is summarized in the last part of verse 17. It's those six words, the last six words that we read. The righteous will live by faith. It's a quote from the Old Testament. It's a quote from the book of Habakkuk. Shows up two other places in uh, the New Testament. It's found in Galatians and in Hebrews. It is perhaps the most important theological truth. The rest of Romans is an explanation of these six words. Paul will explain how. Faith in God through Jesus makes the following possible. Faith makes it possible to be at peace. Makes it possible to be at peace with God. Maybe just a little bit of a journey of the things that are coming up in Romans. You can look it up or there, there on your screen. But Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ makes peace possible. Faith in Christ also makes peace with others possible. Paul writes the first four chapters of Romans, and then we read just a moment ago, Romans 5, verse 1, he says, because of what's been written, therefore you can know that you have peace with God. And then he begins to write how we might, because of the peace with God, we're able to have peace with others. And he says this in Romans chapter 14, and verse 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. We're to not pass judgment on fellow believers. Some are strong in faith and some are not. We want to be at peace with others. So Paul writes about how we might be able to be at peace with God. He writes how we might be able to peace with others. He also writes how we might be able to be at peace with ourselves. Peace with self. Romans chapter 15 and verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the feelings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Being at peace with self is found when we're not selfish but seek to build, build others up. Being at peace with God and with others and with self... Are you interested in that kind of stuff? I mean, are these the things truly that, boy, we'd like to have in our own life? It's found as we seek Jesus. Oh, but certainly this brings interest maybe to this study we have of Romans, to this series. But I also hope that it will be a great desire to draw close to Jesus so that we can face the world and grow in our love for Him and want to be able to share the good news of the gospel with others. I want to tell you a story about a girl by the name of Azzy Taylor. A-Z-I-E is her first name. Azzy was born of an unwed prostitute. Her childhood was full of hardships like we probably could not imagine. But she, when she was in third grade, she had a third grade school teacher who invited her to church. Never been to church. In fact, she invited her to vacation Bible school. She asked her, never heard of it, what's Vacation Bible School? She says, well, you'll go, we're going to be able to hear stories and we'll have crafts and games, there'll be food. And she went the first day to Vacation Bible School. She had 
cookies and Kool-Aid and thought she liked this. She'll come back again. She came back a second time, and the next day as she came back, she found something else that she had never heard of or never known before, and that was that people loved her and cared for her and showed her love. And that day also she was introduced to Jesus. And it wasn't long after that that she accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. When school started back, Azzy was a different person who never really smiled before. She began to smile every day when her clothes were kind of torn and not... Uh, not been nice or clean, she began to look neat and well-groomed. She'd barely passed school before, but then she, after this she began to do well. She discovered she was good at numbers. In fact, she was a math whiz. By the time she graduated high school at the age of 16, she was valedictorian of her class. She went to college and majored in mathematics, met the man of her dreams, and they both graduated college. Eventually, as he landed a very good job, and her husband went and dropped her off at her first day in, in the new job in front of the building where she was going to work. And he went off and stopped and bought a paper. And on the front of that paper, the headlines read, The daughter of an unwed prostitute lands a big important job. He immediately went back to where he had dropped her off his wife. And there she was standing in front of the building, reporters actually surrounding her and asking her, Is it true? Tell us what is true. Tell us your story. She said, If you let me, I'll tell you my story. And there on that city block, she told about a third grade school teacher invited her to church at the vacation Bible school. And there she had heard about Jesus. And when she met Jesus, it changed her life. Sometimes if you pull out an old dollar bill, you'll see her name written in the bottom left-hand corner for she, Alzie Taylor Morton, was the one-time United States treasurer. I'm obligated. I'm eager. I'm not ashamed. May these be our motivations, doing the right thing for the right reason. It's a tall order. It's a tall order to find and do the right things. Not only do you do the right thing, but want to do them for the right motives and the right reasons so that God's name might be glorified and because we love others. But it's the difference. The right thing for the right reason is the difference between the same old thing and being part of something that is truly significant for the kingdom. Why should I believe? If you want to know why you should believe in Jesus, or you want to be able to share with others, either way. If you're here today and you think, well, why should I really believe this thing that, about Jesus and you've not accepted Him? Or you want to be able to tell others why you should believe. Here's the answer for today. Faith is necessary for salvation and living for Jesus. Faith is necessary for salvation and for living for Jesus. That's what's meant by the righteous shall live by faith. May we be ready to stand on our two little feet and say, this is what I know to be true. I'm not ashamed. I'm eager to share. And I'm obligated by my love for all people because I know Jesus and I know that He is the truth. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we thank You today for Your goodness. We thank you, Father, for the good news that we have received. Those of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus, the good news that has been given through your word today because of the sacrifice that Christ made for us. We thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul that we've read about today. We pray, Father, that we also may be an example for others. We pray, Father, help us to be able to understand the truth of the gospel. Help us to be understand the importance of faith in knowing that faith which has led many of us to salvation 
is the same faith that helps us to live for you. Thank you, Father, for the power of salvation that is within us. We pray, Father, that it may be able to be seen in us. We pray, Father, that it might be used to be able to further your kingdom. We pray, Father, if there's someone here who does not know you as Lord and Savior,